also, uh, hey, it's, it's officially summer now. Uh, I think it was, the solstice was July, uh, June 21st, so that was Thursday. Um, so it's officially summer now. And, uh, but also, something else happened that day. I don't know if you guys know this. It was National Selfie Day. Did you realize this? Pretty important day. So um, in honor of, of National Selfie Day, I have a video for you. Go ahead and roll that. Look around you. Everybody's just walking around. Taking a photo of yourself? They call it a selfie. I can't even say the word without sweating. I can't stand the word. I call it taking a lonely. <laughs> Do you know how alone you gotta be? That you can't find anybody to take a photo? that you got 838 photos of yourself in your bathroom? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? All right. That's how I feel about selfies most of the time. Now listen, single people are allowed more selfies than married people. Married people, you have someone to take your picture. You can post like two of them a year, okay? That's my, that's my rule there. Single people, once a month, okay? Don't exceed that. Um, if you do, it's excessive, okay? So that's your instruction on selfies today, all right? That has nothing to do with my message either. So, um, but listen, we're, this is part, uh, today I'm, I'm uh, preaching message. This is part eight of our series on identity. This is gonna be the last message in the series and we have some other stuff. Um, I, there are other areas we certainly could go in talking about identity, but we're, we're gonna move on and there's some other things I wanna get into this summer as we're prayer rocking the city. There's some other sermons I wanna to preach to you. Um, but to, today I wanna to talk about the subject of royalty. The last message in the series I wanna talk about the subject of royalty. The title of my message is called A Royal Family. If you're part of the body of Christ, then you're part of a royal family. I don't know if you knew that. If you're part of the body of Christ, you are part of a royal family. We were in this world because we're born into sin. We're not born redeemed to Jesus. We have to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Because of that, we're born orphans. We're born separated from him. We're born into slavery, right? So we're born slaves to ourself. We're born from uh, slaves to our sin. We're born slaves to selfies, right? Okay. We're born slaves to all these, but Jesus, but Jesus will come. He will deliver you from selfies, yourself, and your sin. So, um, so uh, royalty, we are royalty. My, my friend uh, JD, who's running media up here, he just got back from a, a camp, um, and they, it's called Royal Family Kids, and they take foster kids. I think, is it the Weld, Weld County Foster Kids? Yeah, Weld County Foster Kids. And they take them to a camp and they instill value in them. They show them love. Um, but one of the things that, one of the messages they give them is, hey, you are not, you're not to be identified as an orphan. You're to, you're to be identified as royalty. Okay. Um, because how many know if you're an orphan, like there's an orphan spirit and there, there could be this thing where you take that on as your identity. Okay. They don't want them to have that identity. They want them to have the identity of royalty. And so, and we should as well as Christians, they're reaching orphans and praise God for them. But really the whole world, the entire world is born estranged from our heavenly father. We're born orphans. We're born separated from him. 
But when we get adopted, when Jesus comes in our lives and he saves us, we're adopted into this royal family. When we're reconciled to him, we're part of a royal family. In poker, you know, the game poker, I don't play poker. Does anyone play poker? You're like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, okay. Y'all are Christians. You're like, gambling's a sin. I don't play. I didn't say you gamble. Whatever. This is a side story, and I can't help it, but I have to say it. When my wife and I, um, <laughs> when my when my wife and I, before we became pastors, like not over, it was about ten years ago. Before we became pastors, I have family that's out in Las Vegas, and my my stepdad's out there. He's like, hey. I want to give each of you a hundred bucks. So he gives us each a hundred bucks. He's like, do whatever you want with it. And so um, I, I'm like, well, it's, it was given to me, so I'll, I'll gamble. Like, I'm going to gamble it. He gave it to me. I didn't earn it, you know what I mean? So I gamble money. It's gone. Totally gone. Emily gambles almost all of her money. She has like $10 left, and she puts it in a, like a $10 or $5 slot machine, pulls once, nothing, pulls a second time, and wins 1200 bucks. <laughs> and so... Which was awesome. We paid off a car with it, actually. <laughs> and uh, she went 1200 bucks. So then they come and they, and they give you, you know, the money. And then you have to fill out a tax form. If you, if you win more than like 900 bucks, you have to fill out a tax form. So like a month later, we get hired at Rez and Loveland at the church out there. And then later that year, we were doing taxes. And one of the things are like, did you have any gambling winnings? And we're like, oh, we have to claim this. <laughs> so... Clergy financial, they, they deal with licensed ministers. It's a little more complicated, so you have to go through a special accounting firm. They're like, yeah, we're ready to do taxes. We just have one question. We want to make sure that you didn't put this on the wrong line or whatever, but like, I see that there's some gambling wings here. Like, is that, is that true? And we're like, yeah, we want some money out in Vegas, so charge us for it. Anyway, we don't normally gamble, but we did, and she won big one time, so we're like, let's get out now while while we're ahead, but, but listen, in, in poker, which I really have, don't know much about, in poker, there's a hand called a royal flush, right? And um, a royal flush, they say it's an unbeatable hand. There's nothing higher than that hand. Go ahead and put that picture up if you would, JD. So a royal flush is um, an ace, king, queen, jack, and 10, all of the same suit, okay? It's an unbeatable hand. And I just want to say, that if we realize who we are in Christ Jesus, if we realize we're part of a royal family, like that is an unbeatable hand. I don't know if you know this, you've actually been dealt an unbeatable hand in your life. And I've been, I've been, dealt, some, I've been dealt some bad hands before in my life. Anyone ever been dealt a, de- a, a bad hand here and there? Yeah, I've been dealt some bad hands here and there. But one thing I want to say is, in Jesus, you've been dealt this amazing hand. We, as a body of Christ, we've been dealt an amazing hand. If we realize who we are, that we're part of that, we're part of a royal family, like it's an unbeatable hand. So we want, it's so important that we know identity. It's so important that we know who we are. There's so many, um, so many Christians who walk around, they have no idea who they are. They have no idea who God has created them to be. So um, you have royal blood flowing through your veins. Let me give you a scripture so you know this isn't heresy. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says this. But you are a chosen people. In other words, you're handpicked. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. See, there it is. Your royalty. A holy nation, God's special possession. Everyone say, I'm God's special possession. You're his special possession. He came to redeem you. He came to die for you. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. 
Uh, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You were God's chosen people. You were hand-picked, and you were, you were holy. Set, holy is set apart. It's, it's not, you're no longer common. You're totally, you're uncommon. You're special. You know, like in your house, I don't know if people still have this. I don't have this, but like, does anyone here have like a, a set of china? Like china? Okay, yeah. No young people? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, people over the age of like 30 or 40 have china. People under 30, they don't. Hey, easy. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Okay, I'm, I'll be careful here. I'm walking on eggshells up in here. So, <laughs> listen, you don't eat with the china every day. You don't put it out for the kids, right? It's, it's, it's special, right? That's your special silverware. You take it out for special occasions. Well, listen. In, in God's economy, like, we're his special possession, okay? We're not, we're not common. We're not Tupperware. We're like the good stuff, okay? <laughs> so you're God's special possession. Totally um, uncommon, totally other than. Okay, so royalty. What does it look like to be royalty? Do we, like, do we wear crowns now? Let's all go out and get crowns. I was going to go to Burger King and see if they still have those crowns. Put that on while I was preaching. I didn't have time for it. So, like, do we put on crowns? Do we go get some some robes and sit on thrones, like we're royalty. Let's, let's get this going on. Let's get some crowns. Let's get some robes. Um, this is also a story. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but my friend, my friend Robert, where's Robert? Robert, Robert. He ran away because he knew he was going to tell this story. So he, we've been friends for like, let's see, we've been married for 13 years, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Whew, that was a close one. So Rob and I have been friends for probably 14 years. If I had known him longer, he probably would have been in my wedding. But um, when, I, when I first met Rob, he was telling me the story about from way back. You guys remember Carmen, the, the Christian like celebrity, Carmen? So Carmen was like a big deal, I don't know, 80s, early 90s maybe. And Rob was telling me he has this like NyQuil dream one time or his pizza dream, whatever you want to call it. He has this dream that him and Carmen are like buds. Like, he's hanging out with, with Christian celebrity Carmen. And their buds, they're hanging out. And they got these robes on. They're hanging out just, like, lounging in these robes. And on the, on the robes that they have, um, it's embroidered on them. It says Husk. Both of them have this. It's like their nickname for each other. It's like Husk. And they have that embroidered on, on their robes. And he's like, this is the weirdest dream, but it was funny. He was telling me about it. So I remember this. I remember him telling me this. And I knew his birthday was coming up. <laughs> so I go get a robe and I take it to like an embroidering place. I'm like, I need you to put husk on this robe. <laughs> so we, we gave it to Rob for his birthday. He opens it. He's like, thank you, I guess. And like, I got way more pleasure out of giving that gift than he did receiving it. In that case, it was much better to give than to receive. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my message, but we don't need robes. We don't need crowns. We're not looking to sit on thrones. That's not what this is about. What does it mean to be royalty? What does it mean to be royalty in God's, in God's eyes? The answer is this. It is, it's actually a mindset. It's actually understanding and a knowing of who you are. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon um, on water baptism um, called Take the Plunge. If you haven't heard it, you can go to citylights.church and listen to that if you want to. But I made this analogy in that sermon between the children of Israel, when, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, there's some analogies there that we can reflect upon. When a, when a Christian gets saved, it's like that in many ways. For example, um, the Passover lamb, Jesus was, was 
uh, the Passover lamb was slain and the blood was put over the doorpost as a way uh, when the Lord was um, pronouncing judgments on Israel, uh, I'm sorry, not on Israel, on Egypt, that he would pass over the house of the Israelites when that happened. That is a picture of Jesus, the lamb of God who was slain for us, right? And then the, and then the Bible says, this is this verse where it says, when they, they were supposed to eat the Passover lamb, and it says, when you eat the Passover lamb, eat it in haste. Like, eat it with your sandals on, your belt tucked in, or your, your cloak tucked into your belt. Like, eat it getting, being ready to leave Egypt immediately. And that's what happened. They were driven out of Egypt immediately after that. The Egyptians were terrified, and like, get out of here before we all die. The analogy there is when you become a Christian, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, we're supposed to immediately leave Egypt. We're supposed to immediately leave our old life, right? And then what did they go do right after that? They went straight to the Red Sea and crossed through it, which is a type and a shadow and a picture of water baptism, okay? They went through the waters of baptism. So as Christians, when we get saved, we're supposed to leave the old life behind. We're supposed to go straight to the waters of baptism and, and leave, the old, um, leave the enemy dead in the water, right? The enemy was left dead in the water. And so I preached that message, and it was cool. We did water baptisms. And um, the next day, uh, my father-in-law, he's like, Hey, um, can, I, can I take you guys to breakfast? So we went out to breakfast with him. He's like, hey, I have a question about your sermon. Okay, so he's like, so we're supposed to get saved immediately and leave the old life behind. You're supposed to leave all that stuff behind, right? Step out of the old into new. I'm like, yes. And he goes, but all those people that got baptized, aren't they just like, they got baptized, but aren't they just going back to like the same house, the same apartment, same job, same problems? Like in a way, like, they're just going back to the same old stuff, right? Won't they be discouraged when they get water baptized and they go and everything's still the same? And I thought, well, first of all, good question, right? How many think that's a good question? Like, yeah, you're supposed to leave? Like, am I supposed to get out of town? Like, what's happening? Like, and so this is what I say. Yes, the job may be the same. The apartment or the house you live in might be the same. Um, you, you still may have some of the same challenges and the same struggles and relationships, but, every, but not everything is the same. In fact, everything is different. Everything's different. And he was like, how, how is everything different if everything's the same? Like, well, I don't want people to be discouraged here. And this is how. There was actually one thing that changed. And it's really the only thing that needed to change. And that is you. You change. Right? You, you have a change of heart. You have a change in your mind and the change of your thinking. And hear this. When that change happens to you, then you face life you face that job, you face that living situation, you face those challenges through a different thinking, through a different paradigm. So the only thing that needs to change is you. That, all that stuff will actually change around you as you change, as you renew your mind. So the children of Israel, God delivered them from physical slavery and geographically relocated them. They came out of Egypt. And actually, they came out of Egypt, but it actually took God 40 years to get Egypt out of them. It took 40 years for God to get slavery thinking, orphan thinking out of them. They were still, it, that takes time. That's a process. Geographically, they were free, but their thinking, they were still in bondage. They were still in slavery. In our case, God delivers us from spiritual bondage, and then he tells us to renew our minds. He says he delivers us from spiritual bondage. He tells us to renew our minds. And then victory is made manifest as our thinking changes and our actions change because of our thinking. Amen? Amen? So you might not have gone home. You might not have gone home to find that your house or that living situation, I now live in a palace, you know? How many would like that? Like, you get saved and you get baptized, you come home and like, 
my house that was terrible is now a beautiful palace and there are guards here and, and people waiting on me. No, that didn't happen, right? It's, it doesn't work like that. But what happens is you change and then the world around you changes as you manifest Jesus in your life. As Jesus changes and transforms you, the world around you changes. But that's royalty. And I, so today I want to give you I want to give you three characteristics of what it looks like to be royal, what it looks like to have royalty, okay? Um, before I do that, I should say that the kind of royalty we're looking at is the kind of royalty that Jesus modeled. Jesus is a king. How many know Jesus is a king? Jesus, but Jesus laid that down. He came to earth. He came to serve. Jesus um, is a servant leader. Jesus came to actually serve. So the, the kind of royalty we're looking at is, is not like people are going to serve me now. I'm going to have a palace. You know, God, will bl- God blesses us. That's all good stuff. But we're looking for servant leadership. We're looking for Jesus kind of leadership, okay? Um, so the first um, three characteristics of royalty. Number one, royalty takes ownership of problems. Royalty takes ownership of problems. If we are thinking like royalty, we're taking ownership of problems. Kings take responsibility for the things inside the king's domain, the king's dominion, the, the kingdom, the king's domain. They take responsibility for things inside of their kingdom. What, like, what is the, the, the domain of the king that we want to have? Well, it's everywhere we go. It's everywhere our footsteps. That's where Jesus' kingdom is. Like if you go to the store, guess what? The kingdom of God went with you. The king's domain went with you. And we should be a, a royal people that take responsibility for everywhere we go. Amen? And so, um, for example, my friend J.D., I mentioned this already, he was presented with a need for the royal family kids. Hey, we need mentors. We need people to come pour out on these kids. There was a grace on his life to do that. There's a grace to step out and do that, and he stepped up to that challenge. My, my friend Elijah, is Elijah in here? Elijah? Yeah, buddy. He, Elijah had, he saw a need in our city to help the homeless. He saw like they need, like he could, he could cut their hair, he can give them clothes, he can let them take hot showers. So they have this facility that they're able to do that at. And you guys gave to help make that possible. And thank you guys for giving for that. But he saw a need in our city. He took ownership of that need in the city. My wife is a good example of this. Like she, she picks up trash everywhere she goes. Like we'll be hiking and there's trash. She picks up, she puts it in her bag and you know. Sometimes I'll do that to you. But like literally, we'll be walking to the store. She picks up trash. And I'm like, babe, they pay people to do this. You don't have to pick up the trash. She's like, I'll just take a second. And just take a second. For her, it's always like, it's just, you know what I mean? Why does she do that? Because it has been instilled in her that she's supposed to leave places better than she found them. Like that's just the way that's been instilled in her. Leave it better than you found it. And that is, that is a mindset of nobility. That is a mindset of royalty. Okay. So um, in Proverbs 31, there's, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a portion of scripture here. Um, it's the sayings of King Lemuel. Am I saying that right? Lemuel, yeah. They, some scholars think that this is a pet name that, that Bathsheba gave to her son Solomon, okay? Um, but regardless, this is a mom teaching her son how to be royal, how to live royal, how to be royal, how to have these noble attributes. This is a mom instructing a son how to be royal. This is, what, this is what she says. And keep in mind, we're royalty. So this applies to us, right? We want to be royalty. Proverbs 31, um, chapter one, uh, verses 1 through 9. The sayings of King Lamel and inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings 
uh, Lamel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember it no more. Verse 8. Why, why shouldn't you do all that stuff? Why shouldn't you get wrapped up in women? Why shouldn't you get wrapped up in getting drunk? Verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. She's saying, hey, here's how to be royal. Don't get distracted by all the privileges of being a king that you forget why God put you on a throne. He put you there to, to manage and to, and to um, give justice and, and, to, and to make sure that the poor and those who don't have a voice are spoken for. Amen? And so, you know, and Solomon talked about wine elsewhere, so we probably know he drank wine. But she's saying, hey, don't get, when you drink, don't get drunk. Don't get intoxicated. Don't, get, don't go overboard here. Don't commit adultery and waste your time on a bunch of women, okay? You have a responsibility. And it can be easy as a king it can be easy as a king to get distracted by those things, okay? So royalty takes responsibility, takes ownership of problems in their domain. Royalty speaks up for people. Hear this. Royalty speaks up for people who can't speak up for themselves. Okay, that's number one. Number two, royalty, royalty finds creative solutions to problems, okay? If you do a study on orphans, um, you will find that people who have family deprivation uh, it leads to all kinds of setbacks in their life just because of the mindsets they have. Now, by the way, if you were raised as an orphan or you're raised in a broken home or all these different things, yes, there's, there can be setbacks. It doesn't mean you can't overcome those setbacks, amen? But it does mean there are, you have to come from behind. You're like, there's some areas in my life I had to come from behind. So um, it doesn't mean you can't overcome that. But one of the setbacks that family deprivation or people who, who've um, been raised in like foster care is that they tend to have a disinterest in discovering new things. They're not, they're not naturally curious people. And that's probably because their expectation, their, their level of hope is low. So they, they think, why discover new things? Why, why innovate? Why do new things? If my hope is low, things aren't going to change. Why step out? Why do all that kind of stuff, right? So they don't venture outside of their norm, typically. Well-adjusted people, People who know family, have family. Well-adjusted people are naturally more curious, and that curiosity leads them to discovering new ideas. So, and listen, being creative is you just simply living out who you've been created to be. You are created in the likeness and the image of God. How many know God's a creator? He wouldn't be here if he wasn't, <laughs> right? You've been created, the Bible says, in his likeness and image. He's a creator. That means if we've been created in his image, we are supposed to be creative beings. Amen? You're supposed to be a creative being. Now, not, maybe not everyone's like artistic. Like, I'm not really artistic, but I am creative, you know? It's like you all have something to give. You all have something to offer. Personally, I really, I enjoy looking at certain problems and finding out a solution to those problems. Especially if I can build something with my hands. Like, it's therapeutic, you know? Especially when you're, you know, typing and you're on a computer a lot. It's therapeutic for me to build stuff with my hands. Um, I used to, when we were doing young adult ministry, I did that a lot. I build like decor and all this kind of different stuff. People who know us knew that about me. But here at the church, we had, we, we're, uh, we're kind of like a mobile church. We have a storage room upstairs, and that storage room is getting like packed. It's like getting full. As a new church, we're like, oh gosh, do we need to get a storage unit now? Like we're starting to get more stuff because we, we bring stuff down. And so we had, we're, we're starting to have a problem up there, okay? And um, I, I go to Jeff Neat. Do you guys, is Jeff Neat here? Jeff Neat, are you here? I didn't see them in church this morning. But I go to Jeff Neat, and Jeff is, 
Jeff is a craftsman, and he's got like this engineer's mind. In fact, he designed some of this decor up here. When we, when we were building this, we were like, hey, we need some stage decor. Can you build some stuff? It needs to be lightweight. It needs to be portable because we have to put all this stuff away, you know? And he did. He did amazing with that. But with the storage unit upstairs, I'm like, Jeff, we've got these stanchions, and they're taking up a huge portion of the floor upstairs. And like, can you innovate something, a way to like store these that will be better, okay? And he's like, does it need to be like pretty? Does it need to be aesthetically beautiful? I'm like, no, it just needs to be functional, <laughs> you know? So he's like, okay. So he designs this cart. Go ahead and put up the first picture. And there's, you know, um, one, go, go ahead and go to the next one. So they're stored um, on the base, upside down, and then go to the last picture. That, there's 10 stanchions. They were taking up like a huge portion of floor. And now there's like this little, portion of space, and Jeff spent like 30 bucks to make that. Like, super easy, slapped it together. Like, just, that's the kind of mind that Jeff has. He's just innovative kind of guy. I'm kind of like, I like doing this kind of stuff like that. And I just want to say um, that maybe not everyone here is called to be like the worship leader, the preacher, pray, prophesy, and stuff like that, but you all have a gift for something. And do you guys know the first, the first person that the Bible says was filled was filled with the Spirit of God. The first person, it says this in the Bible, the first person to be filled with the Spirit of God was actually a craftsman. It wasn't like some prophet or some messenger or some whatever. The first person to be filled with the Spirit of God in the Bible was a craftsman. Let me read this verse to you. Exodus 31. We, we, you know, we talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Here's the Exodus 31 man. Like he builds stuff with his hands. All the men said amen. Yeah. <laughs> Exodus 31 man. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen... Bezalel, I'm not going to say that again, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. First person in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit of God was a craftsman. That's cool, huh? And so, listen, royalty finds creative solutions to problems, okay? And again, maybe you're here and maybe you're like, I don't know what to offer. I'm not like a typical Christian, but maybe you can build something with your hands. Maybe, maybe God's given you a gift in a different area. And I just want to encourage you, like, if God's put that in you, like, use it for his glory. Use it for his kingdom. Amen? Okay, that's number two. Last one, number three, the uh, characteristics of royalty. Royalty leaves a legacy, okay? People who are royal, they think multi-generational. They think in terms of legacy. If we're going to be a royal people, we need to think in terms of multi-generational. We need to think in terms of leaving a legacy. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about making an impact on the world. How many want to make an impact on the world? Like, I want to change this world. I, I w like, this is what keeps royalty up at night, is how can I change the world? How can I make a difference in the world? That, that thought, if you're gonna lose sleep, lose sleep over that. Like, how do I change this world? How do I make it a better place? Okay, um, I've been, I've officiated, I don't know, like six funerals, um, spoken at a couple others, and when you, when you, when you officiate a funeral, you're, you're looking the best way to memorialize, you're looking for the best way to honor the memory of a person. Honor what's honorable, you're looking for a way to honor them. And so you sit down, if you didn't know the person, you sit down with a family and you're like, Tell me about your dad. Tell me about your mom. What, what, what did they like? What were they into? What difference did they make in the world? And usually they'll say, um, my dad loved this. You know, my dad loved fishing or hunting or golf or hiking, which is awesome and great. By the way, we should all be passionate about something. You should have a passion in your life. 
But what I'm really looking for when I, when I do a funeral, I'm looking for, did this person have a passion for God? Did they have a passion in their heart for God? It makes it easier, by the way, if you do, to do a funeral, it makes it easier if you had a passion for God. If I ever to do your funeral, do me a favor, just have a passion for God. <laughs> it makes it so much easier. I, I'll tell you, one of the worst things is you're doing a funeral and you're like, no one really knows if this person had a relationship with God. They kind of think, yeah, but he didn't really talk about it. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that's tough. Like, I might be doing a funeral for someone who's not in heaven. Like, that's not easy, you know. And so, um, a lot of times this is what someone will say. They'll say, like, my dad was a good provider, and he loved fishing, hiking, hunting, golf, whatever. And listen, if you're a good provider, uh, you look out for your own family, that's good, that's honorable, that's to be commemorated. But I want to say something about that. It's really not extraordinary. Okay, Providing for your family is like expected. Like that's what we're expected to do. We're expected to provide for our family. Look at this, this um, 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially of their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? So this is pretty strong. By the way, if, you're, if you've been like um, laid off or whatever, this isn't to condemn you. Like, don't, don't go down that road. Like, if you've been laid off, you're down and out, you've been injured, like, don't be condemned by this. It should make people who are lazy and stingy uncomfortable, though, you know? <laughs> you're lazy and unstingy, you should be a little uncomfortable here. But it's good and it's honorable to be provided, but it's also, it's also expected, okay? Look at the way Jesus put it. Matthew uh, 5, verses 46 to 47, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? So that's not special. Verse 47, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not the pagans do that? Okay, he's like, good job. You took care of people. You loved people who loved you. You greeted people who liked you. Like, awesome, but that's not extraordinary, okay? Okay, providing for a family is good and honorable. Loving people who love you is good, but it's not extraordinary. What's the point of this? If you want to leave, if you want to leave a spiritual legacy, we need to think outside of our little spheres. We need to think outside of our little, you know, and some people are, they're all about like, I just, I'm a good dad, I'm a good mom, I take care of my family, I pay my bills, and then I'm like, live in the mountains. It's like, some of the funerals I've done, it's like, I think this guy just lived for the mountains, you know? He took care of his family, awesome, he also lived in the mountains, nonstop. Like, and there, listen, there's, I love the mountains. I love the mountains. I love hiking. I love going up there. But sometimes I'll just hold these things like, God, I love running. I think people say he hiked and he ran, like at my funeral, right? I'm sure they'll say that. But I hold these things like, God, am I too into this? Is this too much of a priority for me? Maybe I should, maybe I should be willing to lay this thing down or, or give it up for a season. And, but this is what I want to say, um, and if that's you, uh, consider it. But maybe take the thing you're passionate about and use it for the glory of God. Like, find a way to use it for the glory of God. I'll give you an example of this. I like mixed martial arts. I like wrestling and boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, all that kind of stuff. So a few years back, um, I thought, I like this stuff anyway. I want to do this stuff anyway. I'm going to lead a small group. I'm going to invite young guys to come with me. Evan was part of this group. Ben came to it a few times. Like... We're, we got together, we went to a boxing gym, I had a friend who was a boxing coach, and we got together, and we trained MMA, and then we did discipleship, we did Bible study, and prayed for each other. So I used something I was passionate about, but brought in other people, other young men, and discipled and mentored them. Pretty cool, right? And then um, that, we did that for like a year and a half, and then I got this other idea, hey, I love hiking 14ers. 
So I, I get um, a group of guys and girls this time. I'm like, hey, we're going to hike 14ers. We're going we're gonna to have a 14ers small group. So we went up every Saturday in the summer, and we hiked a different 14er. But, man, I'll tell you, like, the time you spend with someone driving up there on the trail, like, you learn about people, you learn their story, you, and you get to mentor them, you get to pray for them. Hey, how'd that thing go last week? Like, it's a means to, like, disciple and mentor people. When we, when we started this church, we needed to come up with a lot of money. We needed to do a fundraiser. And I love hiking. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, what if I did some crazy thing? And I hiked 14, 14ers in 14 days. People make a pledge towards, you know, each summit that I make. You know, that was very hard, very difficult. <laughs> like, it, and got really old. I was like over hiking for a while. <laughs> but <laughs> 125 miles, 53,000 feet of gain, like I was done. <laughs> um, after like a month, I was back up doing another one though. <laughs> but... Like, I used something I love, and we, we, we were able to start City Lights Church with that money. We, made, we raised $30,000 doing that. Um, my friend Ben up here, um, he used to play World of Warcraft a lot. Do you still play it? No. no. He won't admit it. <laughs> World of Warcraft, video games, right? Like, there's not many activities that seem more like, this is just about me right now than video games, which is fine, you know, to an extent. Like, some things, it's, it's good to have some you time, okay? The, like, don't feel condemned about that. But ben, ben was playing, like, a lot of World of Warcraft. And online, he meets, he meets this, this kid from Philadelphia, messed up kid. Like, gangs, like, gangs are trying to kill him, beat him up. He gets a gun to, like, defend himself. Like, and Ben's talking to this kid and trying to mentor this kid. Ben's, like, paying him to watch like Todd White, you guys know Todd White? He's like paying him to watch Todd White videos and like learn about God. So like Ben's pouring into this kid, loving this kid. When this kid, and they met playing World of Warcraft online. You know, when this kid has a crisis, like he calls Ben crying like, oh my gosh, this has happened in my life. This is the thing that's going on. He used the thing that he was already passionate about and found a way to pour the love of Jesus through it. And so, I don't know, I just wanna give that to you guys um, and, and, and maybe, Maybe um, God will stir your heart there. Um, on that note, by the way, we're going into that, the fall semester in August, talking about small groups, right? Amanda, where are you at? I don't know. Where's Amanda? I don't know. She's doing Discover Course. Oh, hey. She loves to be put on the spot, by the way. <laughs> um, hey, listen, if there's something you're passionate about, like maybe it could be possible that there's other group of people here that are passionate about that same thing. Maybe make a small group out of it. Maybe make it an opportunity to disciple and mentor people through it. Amen? Just consider that. So if you're thinking about leading a small group and you have a passion for something, like take that idea to them and they'll, um, they'll help you work with it, okay? Okay, so <clears throat> I, I pastored millennials for like nine years. We were college young adults pastors for nine years. Millennials take a bad rap for a lot of things. They take a bad rap for being flaky and unmotivated, and I can tell you after pastoring millennials for nine years, it's true. <laughs> They're flaky and unmotivated. No, <laughs> some of them are amazing, but um, they, can be, they can be challenging, you know. But this is, this is one thing that can be said for millennials. They want their life to make a difference. They do, that. like, they care so much about making an impact and their lives making a difference in this world. And they're very creative and they're very smart, okay? And I was just thinking like, man, if we could marry that, I wanna make a difference, leave a legacy, smart, creative people with like the older generation's hard work ethic and virtues, like man, if we could marry those two things, get, get some of you um, older people, some of the younger people and get you guys to like give each other what you have, like man, we could make a huge impact with that, amen? So come on.
So you young people, if you're a millennial, we need your passion, your energy, your creativity, your longing to make a difference. We actually need that as a church. You older people, we need your hard work ethic. We need your experience. We need your virtues. We need your morals that you've been raised with. If we can leave those, I believe we can truly leave a legacy on this earth. Amen? All right, let me recap real quick. Three characteristics of royalty. Number one, royalty takes ownership of problems. Number two, royalty finds creative solutions. Number three, royalty leaves a legacy. Awesome. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, dismiss. Do you know if we're closing with worship? No. We're just going to dismiss. How's that sound? It's, it's 1130, so we're getting close to there. So, Father, we thank you, God, for every individual in this room, Lord God. I, God, I pray. I've said some words. I've communicated some things, Lord God. But I ask that you would drop in our hearts, God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would be able to discern and know, God, that we are a royal family, Lord. Go ahead, J.D., if you have that picture, go ahead and put that picture of the, the royal flush back up. Yeah, man, you're part of a royal family, like a family of love, a family of hearts, right? There's kings and queens in this family, and we're following God. Amen? Some of you are jack of all trades. Everyone's a tenant something. So, Lord, I just pray right now. I just pray right now. God's the ace. Okay, good. So, so cheesy, but you won't forget. Amen? Follow the ace. Kings and queens, sons and daughters. All right, Lord Jesus, I just release that over every person here. God, we would realize and understand our value, Lord God. God, there's things that some people here are messed up in, that are stuck in, that royalty has no business getting stuck in, Lord. I just pray you would call us higher. You would show us who we are in Christ Jesus, Lord. Lord, I pray we would find creative solutions to problems. We would, we would wake up thinking, how can we change this world? We wouldn't look at our small little um, problems, Lord God, but we would think multi-generational, Lord God. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.